Welcome back to the Patriot Nation podcast presented by SB Nation. We are the voice of Patriot Nation. This week, we have a great show for you. Bob Sosie is coming on to recap the AFC Championship game and get into the Super Bowl just a little bit. It's a great interview. You don't want to miss it. So buckle up and cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands. He has it. Wilson, quick throw. And it's good. Lane here with my host, uh, with my other host, Ryan Spagnoli Spags. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, finally catching up on some sleep. I didn't get to bed that night till about one o'clock because I had so much adrenaline. But what a game, man! I mean, behind after the Atlanta game, that was the best football game I'd ever watched, and you know, left me speechless. You know, the whole game. It's just, it was amazing. Just brought so much joy to me, you know, being a Patriot fan and, and, you know, everyone can say, Hey, you know, you've been there nine straight years. What do you, you're supposed to expect this, but with the way the year went and how that game went, it was just, it was shocking. It was almost like that comeback win against Atlanta. It was unbelievable. It was unreal. It was, it was an unbelievable game and really you're right. I mean, it's other than the Atlanta game might be one of the best games I've ever watched. It was just it was back and forth, haymaker after haymaker, especially in the fourth quarter, and you're just sitting there on the edge of your seat. Even with the Patriots up 14 nothing, you're sitting there saying, this isn't enough. You, you know it's not enough. The Chiefs are too explosive. And, you know, they hit the ball for 20 minutes and scored 31 points. I mean, they're just, that's disgusting. I mean, they just, they're that good on offense. And so it was, uh, man, it was unbelievable. And thank God it was Martin Luther King Day on Monday because I didn't get to sleep until super late either. So I got to sleep in a little bit, which is nice. <laughs> Um, but it was a heck of a uh, heck of a win, heck of a win. And and this, this week, uh, to talk about that win and to talk about you know the the Super Bowl coming up next weekend, uh, we have the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosie, gonna is gonna join us with a nice uh, nice interview. Super super nice guy, uh, you know one of the nice guys you'll ever meet, and you know has um, has come on our show. He was actually on my Weekend Warrior show, and uh, you know I kind of saw him here and there. Actually, when I Went to the Sony Michelle event. I kind of reconnected with him there. He was the host of that event. Saw him, kind of reconnected, and he's like, "Oh, sure, he'd love to come on." So uh, he was nice enough to give us his time, and uh, it's a really, really fun interview. A lot of insight and some interesting kind of uh, some interesting background on Bob too um, that you'll hear. So it's uh, it's really fun, and uh, take a listen. Here's Bob. All right, we're going to welcome onto the show the voice of the AFC champion. New England Patriots, another fantastic call this weekend in Kansas City. Uh, Bob Sosie, how you doing, Bob? I'm doing great, Pat. Good to be with you and Ryan tonight, and thanks so much. It's hard to believe now, third AFC championship in a row and a fourth in the last five years for us and for Brady and Belichick, of course. What, this is number nine? 
Aren't, aren't you lucky? Another another trip to the Super Bowl you get out of this. Like you say, you're, you're the luckiest guy in the world. Yeah. In fact, I think I said after the broadcast that Zoe and I were the luckiest announcers in the big leagues. And, you know, we don't always remember that. It's easy to take it for granted and, you know, get caught up. It's all relative. When, you, when you're trying to get to this point and you're in minor league baseball or college sports, uh, you start complaining and say, well, the guy's – in the NFL or the major leagues or the NHL, they don't have to worry about this stuff. And then you start to climb the ladder and, and as, as you move higher and higher in the business, you start complaining really about the same things you did when you're younger. But then you, when you take a step back and you realize how good you have it, uh, you know, you, you realize what a schmuck you've been <laughs> all this time when you've complained. So I try to keep that in mind and just not take it for granted and really appreciate every moment of it. Uh, guys, we say it all the time, don't we? That, you know, that one of these days, this this is going to end. I mean, the Patriots aren't going to continue to go to the AFC Championship game year after year after year and get to the Super Bowl. Uh, if not every year, then, you know, two out of three or three out of four as they've done. So it's, it's That's crazy. Hard. I mean, well, they've been – you got hired in 2013, and they've been there since 2011. So even before you came here, they've been yeah. playing in the AFC Championship game every year and obviously not, haven't made the Super Bowl every single season. But – I mean, it's unbelievable to, you know, I think it's what they've been in five of the last seven Super Bowls. It's just like, that's just foolish. I mean, it's like the fact that they just keep going is uh, is remarkable. And one thing I just wanted to chat with you about just for you quickly, because I mentioned you got hired in 2013. You came from Navy. Did you know Belichick? And did you, well, did you interview with Belichick? Number one, I was curious. And did you, did you know Belichick before you came up here? Uh, I don't know if the team had anything to do with you getting high, you know, if it was just the sports hub or if the team had to do with it. I know Bill, obviously his father coached at Navy forever. He's a big Navy guy. I didn't know if you had any sort of relationship with him before you came up here. No, I did not have any relationship with Bill Belichick at all. I knew Steve from his time. Uh, the co- correspond coincided with mine. Uh, Steve was at the Academy every day. He came to the athletic department offices at Ricketts Hall at the Naval Academy uh, after he'd work out and he would come over and he'd have a cup of coffee that he would get from the football office and then he would come down to the sports information office, which is the publicity wing of the athletic department, and he would read the newspapers there in an interview room. And me as the broadcaster, often I was there, you know, where I set up my laptop in that interview room waiting to talk to one of the midshipman student athletes. And I would converse with Steve and hear his stories, and he was really a wonderful person who was beloved by people around the academy and from really going back to the beginning of his career there until his death, I believe it was in 2005, if not mistaken, maybe Mm -hmm. it was in 2006. He passed away in November of that fall. Uh, In fact, it was on, on on the night after watching Navy play Temple and win a football game. Uh, he he touched the lives of a lot of people and was so well respected. But I did not have any contact with Bill other than the day he came to Annapolis. Um, and I guess Steve passed away in 2005, and I think Bill came in 2006 to donate their book collection, their football book collection, to the Naval Academy. And I was part of a scrum of reporters that asked questions. Uh, but that was it. And and the Sports Hub conducted the search and hired me. Uh, and uh, I believe that. Uh, only after they had informed the Patriots who their their top choice was, uh, did Jonathan Kraft or Robert Kraft, uh, you know, have uh, knowledge of who I was and, and how I sounded. 
And, uh, you know, Mark Hanna and Mike Thomas made that call from the Sports Hub. Mark is now, ironically enough, over at WEI after the radio merger of CBS Radio and Entercom. But, oh. you know, I'm forever indebted to them and, you know, certainly thankful that my experience at Navy, uh, you know, not, it maybe didn't help necessarily uh, for me to be able to call the Patriots, per se, despite that Belichick connection. But it certainly prepared me in a lot of ways for the experience that was to come. It was a really special time. 16 years, some really bad times early for the team on the field, but rewarding nonetheless. And then a really remarkable run under Paul Johnson and eventually Kenny Niamatololo there. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Very interesting uh, over at Navy. And it's just funny how it's funny how it's like, you know, that connection that you had that never really came to fruition. It's not like you used a connection to get here, but yet Belichick's always been connected as a Navy guy. And then, they bring in this next guy and it just happens to be a Navy guy who has no interest. It's just funny how it worked out like that, but it's like a kind of a perfect scenario, you know, it's really yeah, cool. You know, Pat, yeah. And, and honestly too, I mean, after I knew that I was in the mix, I reached out to the Navy head coach with whom I have a really good relationship. And I believe he may have reached out uh, to Bill. Uh, but again, you know, at that, at that time, uh, it, it was a case where I think that the station was conducting the search and, and interviewing. And uh, I think it, I, I heard the story that maybe somebody in the, within the organization had thought that uh, it, that my name was being uh, mentioned as somebody in, uh, in, in search of a public relations job. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know all the details. I, I just know like as, as where I was waiting word was, it was a tough time. And, you know, but it was, sure, it, was, yeah. it was really a, you know, a pretty remarkable experience because, not many people other than, frankly, Joe Castiglione and Dave O'Brien, who were kind enough over the course of time to listen to some of my baseball work. Other than those guys, I don't think anybody in Boston knew who I was. Uh, so to be considered right. number one by the sports hub and, and number two, uh, to have the opportunity to interview and then third to, to be hired for the job. Uh, you know, it, it really was a dream come true. And uh, you know, one that was probably, from the outset, the longest of long shots for me, but I'm glad it came to fruition. Oh, it was a great decision by them. So it's uh, well, we, we all better appreciate it. So now I let's get. That. Oh yeah, of course. Let's get to the game. Were you now? Were you as on edge as we all were? Because we were. <laughs> I, I'm assuming I can speak for Spags here. Like we were all freaking out, going nuts, like the entire fourth quarter. And obviously, you guys are on the air, but you know, you're you're probably just as in it as, as we are, were you kind of in that same thing that that game was wild in the fourth quarter? It was amazing. It reminded me of calling the first game between these teams. And I used the term the other day with somebody else, breathtaking. And it really was breathtaking mm. because there was no chance, except for the numerous conferences and stoppages we had for replay reviews or for conversations between the officials on the field you didn't have a chance really to regroup and literally catch your breath because they were going back and forth up and down the field. And there was one big play after another and one near disaster after the next or before the next. And, you know, calling it, you you really just get caught up and try to stay up with the action and, and get it right, not screw things up. And then at the end of the game, you know, there's that feeling of either exhilaration or uh, the exact opposite and the the debilitating feeling, the, the disappointment uh, of, of seeing a last-second play 
that turns up uh, in yes. favor of the opposition, similar to, for, exa for example, the 2015 AFC Championship game when the Patriots lined up for a two-point try in the final seconds and the pass was right. deflected and eventually intercepted. So, right. you know, for me, calling the game, it was really a matter of just trying to keep up with the action. But i got to say this, Pat and, and Ryan, and, and, and this is something else I've said in other interviews and, and, and to other people privately as well. Other than the Super Bowls, 49 and 51, there is no game that I've called that was more gratifying in the end than this one. And as much as I, I love calling games at Gillette Stadium, there's nothing like the roar of the home crowd when you call a, a touchdown for your team. But yeah. to go to Kansas City, one in, in the elements, the cold temperature, the crowd, and usually when the Patriots travel, there's a fair number, if not a large number, of Patriot fans. Not the case in Kansas City. Almost the entire stadium was clad in red. And <laughs> the fans there have waited so long to have that opportunity. The stadium opened in 72. The Chiefs had never hosted an AFC championship game at Arrowhead. And they finally got their turn. And you have the two quarterbacks, the standard bearer for all these years, the all-time great against this transcendent young talent with you know, the, the, the arm and, and kind of uh, the unorthodox approach similar to Brett Favre uh, that Mahomes has, a real captivating style of play. But there was that. There was the rematch after the 43-40 final, a game that was hard to top, and these teams found a way to do it. And then the Patriots, of course, win it in overtime. And I think you saw the, the jubilation the players had, the, the joy yeah. that they showed immediately after that game. I don't know if we witnessed that. Honestly, after any of the Super Bowls that the, I've called, certainly the you know we didn't last year, but the two Super Bowls the Patriots won, or any of the other AFC Championship games to win on the road, and especially right. all the questions that they faced all year long, and especially late in the season, it, it, it was really special, very fulfilling. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that too, because you know I was going to ask you a lot about the game and everything too, and it, it's just funny how it played out, you know. Um, even after that first half, I, I didn't feel, you know, super comfortable because obviously the game in New England earlier there, you know, Pat, you, we talked about it earlier this week, the Chiefs have scored, I think it was 62 points in the second half of both games. So right there, I knew. Yeah. And it's good to see the team know because when you watch them mic'd up, Edelman was kind of like, hey, it's not over, you know, after the first half. And, you know, I, you've obviously seen Tom Brady at his absolute best. Um, especially over these last couple of years where he's just seemingly got better. You know, what, did you notice anything in particular that you haven't seen this year from Brady as the game got on? Because like his career in that game, he got better and better as the game got on. Was there a point in yeah. time where you were like, here he goes again? Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you know, you think about the third down conversions, 14 of 19 on third down. What in particular that drive in overtime to convert on three third and tens. Yeah. Incredible. And, and Incredible. that was vintage Brady. Absolutely. Incredible. Without, without question. And obviously the offensive line deserves tremendous credit. The receivers as well. I mean, it was really the study of resilience too with, with Edelman after the interception through his hands following the muff punt that wasn't uh, on replay review. Uh, you know, he went from the, the position of being a guy that could have been the GOAT uh, lowercase g after mm -hmm. that interception allowed the Chiefs right. the opportunity to score to being along with the GOAT uppercase, you know, capital G, uh, <laughs> one of the heroes for the Patriots. And to me, 
you know that kind of that that kind of embodies what what this team has exemplified all these years, and and for Brady as well, the comeback, the the, the coolness under pressure. You talked about the score the score at halftime being fourteen nothing, and we were lamenting in the booth the interception from the one yard mm-hmm. line, and we've seen that before. Jeremy Lane in Super Bowl forty nine, the interception yep. on the Patriots were on the verge of scoring there, but you know the the interception, the pick six by Robert Alford in Super Bowl fifty one. But he has this remarkable ability to compartmentalize, put it behind him, and then to continue, uh, as he's done throughout his career, 50-plus times regular season, postseason, to lead his team and to be at his best in the most critical moments. And he was certainly Sunday against the Chiefs. And, you know, I can't uh, I can't say that I've seen him better than on that drive, honestly. Uh, he oh, made some throws man. on Sunday during the game, like the throw to Philip Dorsett. Throw to Gronk late in regulation down the sideline mm-hmm. over Eric Berry, just phenomenal. And you know, for for the people that saw slippage in his play late in the year, and uh, predicted uh, the imminent demise sooner <laughs> rather than later, I think Tom Brady showed that uh, you know they were again off the mark. Well, it's one of those, and it's interesting. You, you know, you mentioned Brady and, and Edelman and how they really struggled. Uh, not really struggled, but made some key mistakes and key errors and fought back and, you know, and, and fought through that. And that's something that, you know, I don't want to look forward to next week just yet, but like, but Todd Gurley struggled with that last week. You know, he dropped a few passes, dropped one that ended up being an interception. They got benched. I mean, we're talking about one of the best players in the league gets benched because he can't get his head right. And, you know, the Patriots just keep fighting through all of those mistakes and, you know, Edom makes that awful mistake. And then after that, they just, all the Patriots do is have three drives and score three touchdowns. And so it's like, you know, they just, it doesn't matter. They just keep going. And Edelman was a big part of, you know, two, the last two out of those three drives. And so, you know, even though they make those mistakes, they keep coming back from them and it doesn't affect them and doesn't phase them moving forward. And that's such a huge component to what they've done. Like you said, it's just, it's amazing the the, the mental toughness of this team. No question about it, Pat, and, and and it's one of the things that a lot of people wondered about, and frankly myself at times, when when you lose five games on the road, uh, and you know, or to, to to flip it, when you, when you talk about the Patriots and what they had to say about the Chargers, for example, the Chargers were nine and zero outside of Los Angeles County before their divisional playoff loss to the Pats in Foxborough. And we heard the Patriots praising the Chargers all week long and talking about their mental toughness because they were so good away from home. Well, I think it, it it was fair to say what's the difference between the Patriots at home this year and the Patriots on the road this year or the Patriots this year compared to past seasons. Right. And I think a lot of people wondered, you know, is, is, it, is it a case of mental toughness? And I think ultimately what they have shown us is that they're not just physically tough. And this is a physically tough football team. They're mentally tough too, like you say. And again, that's right. the study of the Patriots within a game, but also I think for so many of those players – over the course of their careers. Mm. And, and Bob, you know, it's, it's, it's truly amazing what they've done for so long. And, and I remember yeah. after last year's Super Bowl, I mean, the Giants ones were really tough, especially the first one, but I was pretty young then. Um, I don't know how old I, I think I was 10 or 10 or 11. I'm obviously 21 now. So last year's was really the one that, that stung a lot. And, I remember, you know, seeing all the stuff that came out, the Wickersham piece and, and all this, you know, unpatriot-like stuff going on. And I remember sitting back and thinking, and Pat, we talked about it too. I was 
I was like, mm-hmm. there is no way they get back to another one. I, I just, it, it's too late in, their, in both of their careers. I didn't think they could pull it together, and especially how the regular season went. And, and kind of my two-part question is, you know, how surprised are you that they are at this point? And do, how much, is this the last one we're going to see them? Because it seems every year, the past three, it's like, this might be the last one, this might be the last one, no, this might be. You know what I mean? It's it just it's, – it's amazing. Well, I will tell you this, Ryan. From week 16, when they beat the Bills to this point, I'm not surprised. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you that I was, throughout the course of the season, uh, like you, often wondering whether they would get back, not just this year, but per, perhaps you know, within the near future with Brady as a quarterback and Belichick as the coach, just based on the way things were going and, you know, with concerns about the age at certain spots on the roster or the contract situation at certain positions on the roster, et cetera, uh, especially after they lost to the Dolphins and the Steelers in back-to-back weeks in the fashion in which they lost those games, very uncharacteristic in comparison to what we've seen over the course of these last 18 years. But in, in week 16, when they beat the Bills, and here's another one I've said umpteen times in the last couple of weeks. When Julian Edelman caught that touchdown pass and it looked like he'd been tackled at the 15-yard line and yeah. rolled over the two defenders and continued on his way to the end zone, it just struck me as a metaphor in a way. And and I just thought, you know, again, like what we talked about earlier with the resilience, the awareness, and and the relentlessness. And I thought, you know what? Don't ever count these guys out. Don't bet against them. And I know at our station, when I was on the air, <laughs> uh, given the <laughs> cynicism of certain talk shows, the following mm-hmm. when they beat the Jets as they did, you know, people really question why I took so much stock, put so much stock in, in, in the performance against the Jets in Week 17. But there were things that I saw that I really thought were encouraging. And it's interesting now when you hear the players, mm-hmm. including Brady at the podium immediately after the game on Sunday, talk about the importance of those wins and how they, too, took a lot out of those two games. Daron Harmon today was talking about the defense and getting together, basically uh, telling one another, look, you know, we're a better defense than we've shown after the Pittsburgh game. And that was a game they held the Steelers to 17 points, but they were very uh, disappointed in their run defense in that game, like the week before against the Dolphins. And so they recommitted. And I just think that with the case of Brady, as long as he's on the field, and uh, in, in over the course of the next two, three years, however long he plays, I wouldn't count him out. I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule out you know a, 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 another championship run, uh, certainly next year or the year after that, as long as he continues to play at a high level. It, it's amazing to me to think that they lost Danny Amendola, Brandon Cooks, Dion Lewis, three huge figures. That mm-hmm. Rob Gronkowski struggled through the kind of season he did. That Julian Edelman was suspended for the first quarter of the season. They brought Josh Gordon in. He was a productive player. And then, of course, uh, he left the team. And yet here they are coming off a 37-point performance in the AFC Championship game after scoring 41 against a good team in the divisional round. It's crazy. I mean, it's it's just – it's amazing. And it's it's funny because as the Patriots – like, it's so typical Patriots where you just – you're ready to count them out. You're ready to say, yeah, they're done. 
you know, this team's not good anymore, like Trent Dilfer said in 2014. And, and all of a sudden, hey, I was they the just, only one that predicted them last week, Pat. I, I said it. I said it you last were. week. They were going to win. <laughs> I picked it. I picked against the Patriots last week. I just, uh, on the road, I was like, man, I just did. And but, not to know. get you off topic, Pat, but I kind of, I, I listened to it today because I was like, I, I think I got the score right. I said 31 26. So I was close with the points, and I said, if the Patriots come out and pound the rock and control the clock early in the game, I don't, I'm not, I'm not the only one who said that, but I, right. it, 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 I was happy with myself. Put it that way. <laughs> pretty good. It's pretty good. So I mean, you know, it's just it's one of those things. Like I feel like, you know, they've done this multiple times now, where you look at it and you say, ah, man, like they just don't have it this year, or they're just not, they're just not there. And then something clicks, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God. They're, I mean, that team, the team that played, and I know the Jets and the Bills, they played well in those two games. But the team that played two weeks ago against L.A., that's a different team than we saw all year long, I think. Oh, I mean, yeah. I just – that was a totally different team. And I'm watching them like, what, what is happening here? They were just – they were totally different, and it would, they were fantastic. And they played very similar last weekend against Kansas City. And if they play like that again – the Rams don't have a chance. Not if they and, play and, like that. And 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 both of you too. You, I mean, pal, we've talked about it for weeks. You knew Andy Reid's, you know, was gonna choke and make a big, a bad decision in that game at some point, and he did it from the start of the coin flip. Why he ever gave the Patriots the ball and deferred the ball to start the game is mind-boggling to me. The Patriots went down because they lost the opening coin toss, correct? They did. And, and, uh, and, and the Chiefs won it and deferred. Yes. And deferred. Exactly. So they that was the dumbest thing I remember seeing that. Like, what is he doing? You're letting a young quarterback sit on the bench and let Tom Brady go out there and get going. And he goes and puts together an eight minute drive that caps off with a touchdown. Mahomes doesn't see the ball till seven minutes when it's, you know, almost single digits down. I thought that was the dumbest thing. I know it's like you screw up the Patriots always want the ball to, at the start of the half, but it's like, what are you doing? You know what? I, I, I got to say that I, I kind of take exception to that a little bit, and I understand why people have said it based on the way the Patriots were able to drive downfield yeah. and score. But I, I think a couple if of you things. Get a One, the, the, the Patriots, yeah, you know, the Patriots had the ball first in the first game between these teams. And remember, they failed on a fourth down conversion in mm-hmm. Foxborough. Uh, so I think if you're Andy Reid, one, even if you fall behind with a young quarterback, you have faith in your offense to be able to, and, and, and they validated that faith. I mean, they came back and took the lead a couple of times late in the game, yeah. um, just as they had rallied in the first game between these teams. So I think it was, in a lot of ways, less important for the Chiefs to have that first possession than it was for the Patriots. If the Patriots had had faltered on that first drive and not driven downfield, and, and James White made a ter- I think it was James White who made a terrific catch on that first drive to help prolong it. Um, and you think about had the Chiefs gotten a stop, well, then the Patriots, you know, who knows uh, if if they're able to bounce back from that. If the Chiefs start with the lead plus the possession going into half and the possession coming out of half, and fortunately for the Patriots, they were able to take advantage of that opportunity and, and consume a lot of time and drive downfield and. They scored right before the the end of the first half, and then they come out in the second half, and you know they, they give up a lightning quick strike for Kansas City, and it's a completely different game. So I, I don't. I think it's easy. I think that's a decision that, that's 
easier. And I know it was criticized by some in the moment, but I, I just didn't have as much of a problem with it at home uh, as, as other people did, especially given the firepower the Chiefs offense possesses and, and their ability to come back, which they showed. And as far as Andy Reid's coaching goes in that game, I thought he made adjustments in the second half uh, that, that certainly reflected somebody who was more than a guy that can coach according to the script. A lot of people were saying over the course of the last couple of weeks, survive the script, survive the script. Well, Andy Reid and his, his team outscored the Patriots 21 nothing in the fourth quarter last year in the regular season opener. Well, they certainly were a different team in the second half of this year's game with that young quarterback. And they were a second half, different team in the second half of the AFC Championship like in October. So I, I think that he, he's often criticized for time management with good reason. I was going to say, have, he didn't make a mistake I, 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 there. I don't, I, I, you know, I just don't I, – I, I think it's easy to pile on. And, and, and again, I understand, and, and, and you're not alone. You had a lot of company, and a lot of people felt that way right at the outset. But I, I think that I, I can see his reasoning uh, for not taking the kickoff to start the game. All right. Well, I mean, a lot of people would say, and I, and I, I mean, I would tend to agree with them that he might be the second best coach in the NFL. I mean, it's. Oh, I think you know, I think it's hard to argue with the body of his work. And we were talking about know, a guy that went to the playoffs, however many nine times in fourteen years in Philadelphia, the five NFC championships, and right. you know, it's done such a tremendous job with with, with the Chiefs. Uh, but, yeah. You know, we'll see. I think they yeah. have a feel too that at home with their defense showing improvement. And, and, and I didn't put as much stock in that performance against Indianapolis as other people did around the country. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I think the Chiefs had to feel like they were an improved defensive team and they could get a stop early in that game and take control themselves. Uh, so I think for them, you know, it was also an opportunity maybe to thwart what New England typically likes to do uh, by, by electing to defer and take the kickoff to start the second half rather than the first. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So let's move on to let's move on to next week, or not even, I guess, not. In, you know what I mean? The Super Bowl. Um, wh- now, obviously, we want the Patriots to win. I'm not going to make you choose because if you're gonna you're gonna choose the Patriots, so I, that's, that's I kind of a moot point. <laughs> so, um, so, so, but um, what do the Patriots need to do to beat the Rams? You know, or what do you think they they need to do to beat the Rams? You know, when they play them in the Super Bowl. Well, I haven't really dived into it too much, uh, frankly. Um, just getting a chance, really, to, to try to catch up on the Rams uh, over the course of uh, the last day and a half or so, and, and we'll spend a lot more time tomorrow doing that in preparation before we leave. Uh, but and I think the obvious, uh, from an offensive standpoint, they've got to be able to protect Brady from Sue more you know donald on the interior and then those edge guys and i don't know if we've paid enough attention to uh, the edge players for the rams uh, when you when you think about fowler at a key play of course in overtime against the saints he was the guy who came up with the strip sack in the regular season game between the pats and jacksonville this year just when it looked like the patriots might have a chance yeah to get back into that game but then at the other defensive end spot you know, in, in, uh, crazy enough to say in a crazy to say in a, in a game that featured fit, uh, 105 points, that 54-51 game between the Rams and the uh, uh, the Chiefs. I don't know if I was more impressed with anybody that night than uh, that outside linebacker defensive end uh, for the Rams oh, yeah. with his performance, including a couple of defensive scores. Uh, to, uh, I have to continually refer to my notes here. 
And I was uh, going to say, what the heck is that guy's name? Because I've heard it's Ebucom, but I believe it is Abucom. Uh, Abucom. Uh, you know, and, okay. and how athletic and how talented he is. But yeah. then, you know, you look at the cornerbacks to leave and, and Peters and, and Joiner at safety spot, and, and you know the way they've played the last few weeks. Wade Phillips has had experience going up against the Patriots. So I, I think it starts, you know, from from New England's offensive point of view with the same things that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. The offensive line has to continue to do the job that it's done or at least approximate that. I mean, they've been almost flawless when it comes to the pass protection. Brady has been barely touched over the course of these first two playoff games. You think about Bosa, Ingram, Houston, Ford, Jones in consecutive weeks. It's pretty remarkable. And uh, the, the ability to run the ball and be balanced, to use a cliche, extremely important. And then from, I think, a, a defensive standpoint, you know, they're going to have to deal with, with, with all the motion and the misdirection from the Rams. And, and I do think it starts with shutting down or at least controlling the L.A. running game. Gurley was a much better player, as was Anderson in, in, in the divisional round than last week against the Saints. And Goff made some big throws. But I, I still think it starts with you know, eliminating the run. And perhaps that has an impact on the effectiveness of the play action from the Rams, but get golf into a situation where you, know, you might be able to pressure him a bit and, and, and force some errant throws. And, and I think the best way to do that is put him in, put him behind the sticks and put him in some third and longs if you can. That's a great point. I mean, and golf, I think you, you hit on his, his pressure the last six weeks well, the last six games for them, when he's faced pressure, his QB rating is 14.3. And his, you know, they measure like accuracy. The accuracy of his throws when he's under pressure is twenty five percent. So if yeah, you get a, pressure in his face, yeah. it's huge. Yeah, but he made some big throws. I was really impressed with a couple of throws he, he made uh, in, in in the game. One of them was while being hit, I think, late in the first half, and he completed it, I believe, to Higby. And then there was another one uh, right before the game winning kick, um, where he uh, was able to to unload the ball before taking a hit. So. He, he showed some things in the game against the Saints. Interestingly, that's probably the best game of his rookie career too. Was a game against the Saints before the, the Rams came here. But uh, he, mm. he made some big, he made some plays in that game under those circumstances. That crowd was deafening in the Superdome, and they didn't have a running game at all. And I was impressed with with his play in, in the final two minutes of the first half, and, and then of course the final two minutes of regulation and overtime as well. But uh, you know, again, I think that. He's a guy that the Patriots will, will try to confuse at times defensively, but a lot of it comes down to, again, try, trying, I think, to minimize the effects of all that misdirection and, you know, don't give C.J. Anderson one of those cutback runs uh, the way we saw him <laughs> enjoy success uh, when he was uh, a little bit leaner and maybe a little bit faster as a Denver Bronco a few years ago. Yeah, and, yeah. and kind of getting into the game too, now that you're on it, obviously Gurley hasn't seen much of the field the past two weeks. We don't know why. It's Obviously, it's got to be because of an injury. He was riding the bike on the sidelines um, last game, you know, in between series and stuff like that. But when you kind of get into the matchups, um, you know, I didn't think we expected to see that much Keon Cross in this week. You know, Jonathan Jones uh, did a phenomenal job, obviously, with a little bit of safety help with Devin McCourty on Tyreek Hill. We kind of get in, you know, they kind of get some similar guys on offense. They got Brandon Cooks, who obviously they know. You know, it's kind of interesting, and I don't know if you guys want to go ahead and, and kind of 
give your take on it, but who, who they're going to match up as far as, you know, cornerbacks on the wide receivers, you know, they got Cooks and, and Robert Woods, and obviously Gurley's a factor in that passing game too, you know. Who do we mm-hmm. see, you know, Stephon Gilmore on come, you know, a couple weeks from now? Yeah, you know, and I think that uh, Gilmore's had experience, obviously, practicing against Cooks and Woods from his time with the Patriots and Bills, respectively. I would think that Gilmore might be the better matchup for Cooks, and then uh, they they try to pair, you know, uh, one of the other cornerbacks with Woods, who I think is really a, a a pain in the you know what, and has been against the Patriots. He's a good player. I really uh, I've always had a lot of respect for his game uh, as a Buffalo Bill and, and now for the Rams. And I thought it was interesting when Troy Aikman said during the divisional round uh, that you know, he, he's one of the most, if not the most complete receiver in the league in terms of all the things he does well. And he's mm. not exceptional per se in, 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 in any one thing in comparison to some of the other elite receivers in the league, but he does everything extremely well. And, you know, I think he's a guy that uh, will be a focal point uh, for the Patriots, and you know, with Cooks and his speed, it seems a little more pronounced than Woods. You know, again, I think you know, and also Gilmore's ability to be physical with him, and I think that'd be a key too, uh, the way Gilmore plays. And but we'll see. You know, he, 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 Tony, we played this game last week, and who would have ever thought that Keon exactly. Johnson would be out there as many snaps as he played, or that John Jones <laughs> would be the guy along with Devin McCourty who would, or Malcolm Butler would be benched in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Absolutely and, right. And, you know, you. It, it, you it's never know. And it's it, true, too, because, right. you know, I'm a big – I thought Brandon Cooks did a good job here. Uh, I thought he kind of struggled a little bit. Maybe with some gaining some separation, didn't really – you know, it seemed at times he wasn't good in one-on-one balls and, and kind of, you know, didn't make those great catches that we see Edelman and Hogan do. But, I mean, he can hurt you in so many ways with his speed. So, But I definitely think, you know, lining up with him and obviously trading him away because, you know, they weren't going to be able to afford them. Patriots definitely know some ins and outs on him. I think that can help them to their advantage, kind of maybe take him away, know know his weaknesses, and kind of know how to expose him and take him out of the game. Well, I certainly think that there's, you know, there's there is definitely a benefit to having had that experience. And, you know, you evaluate a player uh, based on the way he performs for you, and, and you also know uh, – you know, speaking of the coaches, and you also know as a defender individually, having gone against a guy in in practice, you know, what it's like to line up against him. And, you know, even though he's being used differently by the Rams and has had a great year for the Rams, and I agree with you, I think he's a very productive player for the Patriots and certainly left a, a lot of uh, numbers that had to be overcome with mm-hmm. his with his you know departure through trade. But uh, he's a guy that I think the Patriots will have a good beat on. Uh, he's certainly flourished in that system in L.A. But, you know, again, this is a case where the Patriots have had a lot of experience going up against him. I say that, of course, knowing as well that the Saints did, too. And he burned the Saints for uh, a, a huge catch in that game as well. So we'll we'll find out, obviously, a week from Sunday. Yeah. No, it's a good point. And so I want to switch the other side of the ball and just talk just really briefly about another former Patriot. That's a key to And I don't know what, you know, what they're going to do for sure. If I was the defensive coordinator for the Rams, I would probably be putting to on Gronk uh, one-on-one. He's done it before. He did it with Jimmy Graham. He did it with, um, I think it was Charles Clay. He did it with another tight end. So the Patriots did that a decent amount with him. 
Um, if I was the Rams, I might think about doing that. Tlaib is physical enough, I think, to do it now. I mean, it's going to be difficult for anyone to take one-on-one, you know, take Gronk one-on-one as we saw Eric Berry last week. But, but to me, that's what I would try to do. And then, you know, put Marcus Peters on, on Edelman and say, you know, beat us with somebody else. But, um, you know, it, 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 that should be an interesting kind of chess match there, I think. Yeah, you know, they, they've, they've gone to more zone coverage late in the year. Uh, Peters really struggled playing man. Uh, and, and, of course, Tlaib has been injured. I don't, I don't know that, you know, Tlaib at this stage of his career, especially considering he's been dealing with, you know, the injury, the ankle injury all year. Uh, yeah. Whether he he would hold up in a game, one on one against Gronkowski, a lot of expense too on, on what 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 do the Rams expect of Gronkowski's role in this game? Maybe it's a combination. You know, they used they they used to lead with with shade uh, from a safety as well to help contain a guy like Michael Thomas, and they did a tremendous job of that in the game yeah. against the Saints. You know, they they've got a couple of guys on the back end that, that are interesting to me. You know, Joyner's a guy that uh, you know could could we could very well see in the slot, trying to to at least limit Edelman a bit. Uh, Mark Barron is a linebacker. He's listed as a linebacker, but he's really a, a safety. He's kind of a Patrick Chung type. Uh, he's right. he's a safety, and you know he was drafted in the first round as a safety out of Alabama by Tampa Bay. And you know maybe he's a guy that has some role in in trying to. Be physical with Gronk coming off the line. Uh, we saw them last week against the Saints. Even use some of their big people up front to try to get a hit or a chip on a on receivers coming off the line, like Sue, for example, against Kamara. So I, it'd be interesting to see how, how Wade Phillips does it. As, as Bill Belichick talked about in his Thursday press conference, though, Phillips has his system and he he does do things that are different within that system, but it's not a significant change from year to year as long as he's been doing it. And he's been one of the best. I have, I have tremendous respect for him. Uh, and, and I think he, he deserves a lot of credit for getting all this individual talent to come together late in the season for the Rams and, and play the way they have defensively over the last month or so. But it will be, yeah. uh, it will be fascinating to see. He's one of those interesting cases where he's not a very good head coach. He's an okay head coach. But he's not a great head coach, but he is a fantastic defensive coordinator. And I think that he's kind of yeah. found his role since he was a head coach and said, you know what? Like, I'm done being a head coach. Like, I'm I'm a really good defensive coordinator. I'm just going to keep doing that. And he's been very, very successful at it. Yeah, Pat, so. you know, you know I, I think he's a better head co- he was a better head coach than given credit for at the time, considering what we've seen from head coaches oh, in, in recent years. That's you know, true. I think with the Bills, for example – they went through that long playoff drought. Well, they got there with Wade Phillips, and I think he had two winning seasons out of three in Buffalo and before he was let go. And then yeah. with the Cowboys, <laughs> you know, I kind of take a look at Cowboys head coaches. Now, I, I, I'm with a lot of the people that believe Jason Garrett uh, has, has somehow defied all logic <laughs> by being able to hold on to the job as long as he has, considering you know how little patience owners seem to have in, in most places, especially a guy like Jerry Jones uh, with a franchise like the Cowboys. But I kind of give Phillips a pass on his experience as the Dallas head coach. But I do agree with you. I think he's you know he's made his mark more as a defensive coordinator and you know obviously won a Super Bowl championship in that role with the Broncos and, and put together one of the great defenses in in, in the recent past. Uh, and with this particular team, I think he he does serve not as 
an assist, a de facto head coach, but I think it's, it's a really good sounding board, it seems, for Sean yeah. McVay. And it was a wise choice by McVay uh, to hire a guy like Wade Phillips and allow him to run the defense. And I would have to think that, that there's a lot of uh, conversation that they have where Phillips' experience and wisdom over the years uh, certainly has benefited Sean McVay in what he's done for the Rams. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, so that uh, – Game-wise, that's it. Although I do have one interesting uh, Scott Zolak story. So my father works part-time at the at the Hall of Fame, and uh, he was you know at work one day, and he went into the bathroom, third floor bathroom upstairs, and uh, he goes into the stall, and he's like, he's like, oh, someone someone scratched twenty under the wall. They're like, oh, it must be you know Gino Capaletti or whatever. And he looks at, he's like, wait a second, that's not a two, that's a Z. So. <laughs> Had gone into the bathroom in the hall upstairs and carved his name into the wall with something. So Zoe, if you if you go into the bathroom upstairs on the third floor at the hall, Zoe has carved his name into the uh, into the, into the wall up there. So are we sure that are we sure that Zoe did that and maybe just not some secret mark? I mean, it's possible, but I feel like of all the stories I've heard from Zoe, I'd be surprised if it wasn't Zoe. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I, I may have to bring that up off the air sometime, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I've, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen Zoe, uh, do a lot of things where, uh, you know, that passion and that energy certainly, uh, spills out over the top, but, uh, I, I, I would find it hard to believe that, uh, he would do anything of that sort. Well, what a call he had last week, too. That was awesome. America's Worst Nightmares, Zach. That was awesome. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to getting there and uh, with Zell and being in the booth uh, for the Super Bowl. And certainly have enjoyed our discussion, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's been great. And let's hope, you know, I mean, okay, maybe let's let's hope for not as close of a game because I just, I don't know if my heart can take it. But uh, you know, let's let's hope for some some solid calls from you guys, as I'm sure there will be, anyways. But hopefully, it'll end on a on a good note, as opposed to on a sour note. Now, looking forward to it either way, and I certainly hope you're right, Pat. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Pat. thank Take you, Bob. Care, right? Big fan of you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, once again, thank you so much to Bob, Pat. What a great guy he was. Obviously, the voice of Patriot Nation. He's had some incredible calls. Obviously, he is a part of our intro song uh, with the with his famous Malcolm Butler interception call from 98.5 The Sports Hub. But breaking us into our final portion of the show, Pat, we are not even going to do a pie down low because there was just so many guys that were too good in that game that we'd be here for hours talking about them, from Tom Brady to Edelman to the offensive line, crossing all of them. Gilmore, yeah, it could go. the list goes on and on. So really just for too slow. Um, Geez, D Ford, what an idiot. I feel, you know, I I feel bad for him as a person because that's so tough, but thank you so much for going off sides because I crumbled to my hands and knees. I wanted to start crying and it was like the, the Undertaker. Over. The Undertaker pops up and it's like ding ding ding, here we come. Oh, I knew right there once it happened, I was like, You don't give Tom Brady a second chance. No, you can't. You can't, and that's you know, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's funny because KFC uh, from Barstool was obviously a huge, you know, Patriots hater. He's a Jets fan. And he was like, D Ford, I hate you so much. And he's like, honestly, he's like, this is a, the <laughs> only situation ever in sports where you could literally take D Ford out 
and replace me, replace him with me, and the play would be successful. D Ford had nothing to do with the play, didn't impact the play anything whatsoever. But because he was lined up offsides, you just literally needed a person to not be offsides. And I don't know how, I just don't understand how you can be offsides in a situation like that. You're looking down the line. Like, don't you see the guys behind you? Like, they're clearly a, a full step behind you. You're lined up on the ball. It's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, for people that have said, like, uh, Trent Brown was lined up wrong or whatever, like, shut up. Trent Brown was fine. They give those tackles leeway as long as their right foot or their inside foot is up, which it was, and he wasn't even that far back. As, as some other tackles have been. So, you know, that, that was a, a garbage excuse. But look, they're always going to use stuff against the Patriots. I mean, now they want to change the overtime rules because the Patriots won an overtime. You know, they want to yeah, say that the yeah. – it's just it's ridiculous. You know, they're talking about the stupid Chris Jones penalty when, you know – and look, the Chris Jones penalty was not a penalty. Don't get me wrong. But, like, how about the fact that on the Sammy Watkins play that got them down to the two-yard line when they were losing by three points with, you know, three minutes left to go in the game – Oh, no big deal, but like, you know, the the outside receiver laid out the guy that was covering him, didn't even go out for a route, just blocked him and wasn't called for a penalty. So it's stuff like that where it's like, well, if you're going to point out one side of it, point out both sides of it. It's just, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and, you know, the overtime rules too, you look at the Saints game. It's like the Saints won won the toss, the Rams stopped him, went down and scored. You know, it, right. it, you know, I see the arguments both sides, but why? You know, just because the Patriots won, you want to change it? It's ridiculous, and it'll never get old. And keep the hate coming because it only brings out the best in them. Obviously, you saw Edelman screaming, "You're too old!" So they're hearing the noise. Yeah. Keep it coming, baby. Keep it coming for two more weeks. Let it loose. Let right. it rip. I, I love it. A hundred percent, man. And they they've been they've been kind of feeding into that, and it's been great. And they, you can see how mad that they are. And they're now they have something to prove. The Patriots haven't had anything to prove for a while. Now they really feel like they have something to prove. And uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if they go in and you know win this game next week. And we're going to talk more about the Rams game next week. Um, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they went in and actually scored in the first quarter, which they haven't done in any of the eight Super Bowls so far with Brady. Um, they score in the first quarter. If there was so a year to do it. It'd be this year. It'd be a 100%. year. If it's a year because of the way they're, you know, they're dictating their offense, especially the yes. last couple weeks. Right, and the way the offensive lines played, really, I think to me oh, is the biggest wanted, turnaround. Oh, they are unbelievable, and and I tweeted it out. Um, the Rams' defensive line is loaded with number two pick Nadamikin Sue, number four pick Dante Fowler Jr., obviously the league's best edge rusher. Aaron Donald was the 13th overall pick, and Michael Brockers, I believe, was the 14th overall pick. Then you look at the Patso line, it's undrafted free agent, fourth round, fourth round, third round, <laughs> seventh round. It's just, yeah. it, you know, the, the D-line coach and the Rams, you know, no no disrespect to him, but when you get those guys, you don't really need a coach. What Dante right. Scarnecchia has done has been the most impressive thing I've seen from a positional coach in the history of football with this year, with the amount of questions coming into this year with Brady's left, you know, with his uh, left tackle, with shoulder leaving and, you know, wind going down in the preseason and, and not seeing much of Trent Brown and Marcus Cannon not being able to stay healthy. They have been unbelievable. You know, the people are talking about them, but not enough. They, they're the, you know, the sole reason the Patriots were able to win that game on Sunday. They were 
the best offensive line play I've seen in a long, long time. Oh, right. And let's not forget, I mean, the last time they were on the road was in Pittsburgh. And Trent Brown had about 97 penalties against him. And Marcus Cannon was a revolving door. And so they were a mess from the tackle position. And, you know, they turned it around these last few weeks. And I'm not sure what happened, but but they turned it around. And you look at the Chiefs had the were the number one in sacks throughout the year. And Houston was hurt for a lot of that. Now, Justin Houston was back, obviously, but he was hurt for a decent amount of that time. And they were still number one in sacks. Chris Jones had 16 and a half sacks this past year. You look at the two edge rushers for the Chargers, you know, and Bosa and Ingram, they're two of the best you'll see all year long. And so, you know, now obviously the, the Rams have a little bit of different scenario Aaron Donald you know might be the defensive player of the year this year and so it's like they have elite talent up front for sure but if there's ever a situation where you're okay with that or you feel like you can compete with that it's right now because you know this offensive line has been playing lights out and so it that's going to be a hell of a matchup it's not going to be one where the Patriots have a distinct edge or the Rams have a distinct edge it's just going to be a battle all game long and whoever wins that you know, battle on both sides is going to win the game. And I, and as I watch here on NFL Network, obviously we're recording Thursday night. The the reruns are on. The you know the Patriots Seattle games on right now. Super Bowl Forty Nine. So <laughs> you know if there's any Super Bowl that we could compare maybe this one to, maybe it's this one. You know with you know the Legion of Boom. I don't think their defense is that good, but with that front seven, you know that you know you're seeing some similarities here. I think it'll be a Similar style of game, Pat. You know, hard nose, smash mouth football. You know, uh, who's really going to hold the ball last? I, I really do think it's going to come down to that. Well, you certainly might be right. One thing to point out, and and again, I don't want to get too far into the game because we'll talk about it next week. But but the yeah. Rams are actually thirty second in rush yards per attempt this season. Wow. So they were worst against the run. So you know, Chiefs were thirty first, and now and the Rams are thirty second, and so. You know, as good of an offensive front, a, a defensive front that they have, they haven't been great at stopping the run. Now, part of that could be by design. Part of that could be who knows why. You know, maybe those guys pin their ears back and come for you, you know, when you're uh, assuming that you're passing and you run instead. I don't know. Um, I have to kind of look at a little bit more film. and I, But I heard that stat this weekend. I was like, whoa, okay. Like they can, you know, they can really do something. And, uh you know, it's going to be a heck of a matchup, and so it's going to be exciting next week. I'm I'm ready to go, and I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hold on to your butts, okay? Hold on to your butts, because next week we have a loaded show for you next week, like a loaded show. Patriots are bringing their all. They're hoping to play the best game of the season next week. We're hoping to give you the best podcast of the year this week, next week, I should say. Um, we're going to have a heck of a lineup. We're not releasing anything yet. No one's going to, you're not going to know. It's my little, it's called in the, in the biz, we call that a tease. That's, that's my tease for next week. Uh, <laughs> but you know, but it's going to be a heck of a show. And so, you know, it's, it's going to come again. Our show comes out Friday morning. So it's going to come out Friday morning. It's going to be the weekend of the Super Bowl. You're going to be ready to go. And, and you're going to have one hell of a show lined up for you next, next weekend. So, uh, so definitely stay tuned for that. As far as for today, Thanks for thanks for joining. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Uh, thanks again to Bob for coming on. Spag's always a pleasure, my friend. And uh, and I mean, we're here again. Number nine. Number nine. Well, number nine. We're going back home, baby. Just like I texted you right after that game. We're going back home. So that's right, I'm baby. Looking forward to next week. Looking forward to next week, and uh, let's keep it going, huh?
Yes, sir.